It's been called the artist course the Canadian Army has to offer. And it's all the cool things that you wish you would do when you join the Army. Hi, I'm Captain Adam Morton with the Canadian Army Podcast. We're on location in Trenton at the Canadian Army Advanced Warfare Center, or CASI, which is the center of excellence for a number of specialized Army courses. The Patrol Pathfinder course is the ultimate test for a Canadian soldier. And here with me to explain everything Patrol Pathfinder is Captain Pierre-Alexandre Dufault from the 3rd Battalion, Royal 22e Regiment, and he was also an instructor on the course in 2021. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's talk about what a Pathfinder is. What, what's a Pathfinder? Uh, patrol Pathfinder are medium, uh, long-range reconnaissance patrollers. They're specialized in insertion and extraction. Typically, a uh, patrol pathfinder would be sent in front of a mechanized brigade, further ahead of where normally they could reach. Typically, the max range is a combat radius of a CC-130, so about 600 kilometers would be the max range. To go in, do reconnaissance, prepare whatever it is, drop zones, landing zones, beach zones, austere strip, uh, so that they can insert forces or bring in equipment, bring in materials, and help the newly arrived organization to get the layout of the ground and move to their objective. Basically, it's kind of where it all begins, right? It's like how it starts. They're there and they're setting things up for the follow-on force. Yeah, it's either the start or if a commander is looking at taking a bound in front, that commander would call us in and we would be setting up all the conditions necessary for that commander to move their troop forward. So you're kind of like leapfrogging ahead, just setting those conditions for the force that's going to, you know, when we talk about fall on forces, is like there's a bunch of army people, the pathfinders go in, set it up, the big guns show up, and then you jump ahead and then do it again. Exactly. Can you just describe a couple of methods of insertion if you need to insert? What, what were some things you'd do? Yeah, so we can repel uh, out of an helicopter, uh, down a cliff. Uh, we could insert from parachuting from any airframe. We could swim out of any ships, whether it be at sea or uh, near the shore, in and out of a submarine. Basically, anything that can move us closer to us walking, we can use. So who becomes a Pathfinder? Like, what kind of people become a Pathfinder? Typically, it's going to be infantiers that come from a reconnaissance background. Typically, it's going to be people that are already in the reconnaissance platoon, but there is uh, other trade that have gone on the course and that have been successful. So there is a couple of combat engineers that are also qualified. How do those trades all kind of come together? In the concept of a Pathfinder grouping, uh, there would be all of those enablers that would come with that detachment up to a platoon. So you would have combat engineers, Fu, JTAC, all the uh, artillery piece that would bring in, uh, so those would all be uh, grouped in together. Speaking of that grouping, as it exists in its kind of current incarnation, what does that look like? Like, what do Pathfinders look like right now? Are they kind of distributed throughout units or do they have their own centralized organizations? What does that look like? Conceptually and doctrinally, they would be either a brigade or a division asset, but no formal organization grouping them exists. So they're primarily found in uh, reconnaissance platoon inside infantry battalion or here at the COSI, at the uh, patrol pathfinder cell to help and push the program forward. 
So basically, you know, developing the capability. Yeah, and keeping it relevant. So we just rewrote the qualification standard for the course. Uh, so that's the kind of work that goes on here at the cell. We give the course and we ensure that uh, the capability remains relevant for the Canadian Army and that we keep pace with the change that we see on modern battlefields. So it's an interesting point because, like, uh, you know, from what I understand from the role of patrol pathfinders, to me anyways, it seems like it's something that wouldn't change a lot because, uh, you know, you're moving forward and you're establishing beachheads or, you know, landing strips or whatever. What needs to be modernized to keep it relevant? So a big part of the course or the qualification is also joint mission planning. So modernizing also means including all of the other capabilities or the other equipment that, uh, for example, all the uh, unmanned aerial systems that are available inside of the Army or the Air Force or the Navy, new type of aircraft, new type of uh, offshore patrol vessels that were launched by the RCAN or the Navy is something that uh, we are looking at getting our hands on work with it, develop tactics and procedure with them. So that's all of the kind of work that goes on when no course are running here. So I have friends that are Pathfinders, right? And I have a kind of a general idea of what Pathfinders do. But as I was preparing for this podcast, I was looking at the training plan in there and it's 400 page document. It's incredible the scope of what's in there. Like you do everything on this course. This is like a full spectrum test for everything that is Army. Yeah, and it's all the cool things that you wish you would do when you join the army. So you, you do fast roping, rappelling, you jump from helicopters, you swim with the Navy, you, you go out in the ocean. Really, it's all that I wanted to do when I joined, and I thought that you'd do day in, day out in the army. That's kind of what that course makes you do. So, What does that training look like then? The course is uh, 12 weeks long. It's divided in roughly seven phase. Uh, the first one is entry test, the long distance march. So we're going to test the candidates on their physical fitness, their endurance, uh, mostly with a over 20 kilometer, 80 pound rock sack, full fighting order march. From there, they'll go into uh, navigation phase where they'll learn the ability to go from unknown to known. Uh, so be uh, dropped somewhere, triangulate their position, and get to a uh, rendezvous point day and night uh, for tens of kilometers. From there, we're going to go into tactical procedures and uh, operating procedures, so how Pathfinders operate at the detachment section and platoon level so that we have a standardized way of operating on the course. Then we'll go into series, so survival, escape, resistance, and evasion uh, with the conduct after capture school, which will uh, teach the Pathfinders the skills necessary uh, should they be stranded behind enemy lines. Uh, so there is blue phase also that it either happens uh, east coast or west coast of Canada, uh, where uh, the candidates will be taught how to mission plan and operate out of a uh, Navy platform, whether it's a ship or small craft, operate in a saltwater environment with different type of shorelines, being beach or cliffs. And then this will culminate with the final training exercise that happens in different uh, training area and off training area uh, in Canada, which uh, brings together all that has been learned. 
So we'll include insertion via helicopter, repelling, parachuting uh, with aircraft, elo casting uh, with ship, whether it be from the Navy to Coast Guard, interagency with uh, some uh, law enforcement agency. Um, so really a complete review of all that has been taught the candidates and now they're being assessed on their ability uh, to lead the section of Pathfinder and to be uh, the 2IC of that section. So when you're saying on training area and off training area, so this is everywhere, right? Like all across Canada? Yeah. So for example, the last course, uh, we were in the 2DIV uh, training center, so uh, Valcartier, and from there we launched uh, at Lillocud in the St. Lawrence River to local airports outside the bays. So we try to mix it up so that there's more planning ongoing, routes are longer. Uh, not all missions come with uh, the assets that you're provided. Sometimes you have to request. So it makes people uh, puzzled and makes their ability to plan complex mission uh, more uh, robust. More robust, yeah. And, and we're better able to assess if they have grasped all that has been uh, shown to them. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, you know, especially for people who might not be aware is, especially if you've been attached to a specific base or training area for an extended period of time, like you eventually get to know that place really well. So, you know, if you drop somebody off in the middle of nowhere and and you're just like, uh, yeah, try and figure out where you are. Like, oh yeah, we're just by Delta Tower or whatever. And then you just walk back. So that's probably one of the reasons why you guys are going exactly. off training area. Yeah, exactly. And it also involves getting realism. So Training areas that we have on base usually are, are geared towards uh, a special purpose and they include ranges and things like that. So that's why going outside the base gives you uh, different fields, like there's going to be actual civilians, there's going to be cars. So there's a whole wide world outside uh, training <laughs> yeah. area that yeah, is right. a lot more realistic when you're actually in it. So it makes the planning and the executing of those training mission as close as possible as a real scenario. The intensity of training has got to be pretty high throughout. Uh, yeah, it's high. It takes a lot of energy, but we have uh, a good program for recuperation. We have uh, a good program with medics that follows throughout to treat uh, any problem. We have a physiotherapist from uh, PSP that follows the course throughout. Uh, we're followed by their uh, research human performance cell to help us bring up the uh, passing rate and uh, better prepare future candidates on the course so that they have a better chance of uh, being successful. So for people who've done a lot of military courses, you usually don't see that kind of support structure implemented on the back end. Like you usually have some medics and injuries are always a pretty big hazard, especially on some of the more intense courses. It goes without saying that we always have medical support and all that, but when you talk about having physio on staff and people analyzing human performance, why is Pathfinder the course that gets that kind of support? It is a lot of resources, but the course is, a, it's an advanced course. It's an important capability. And when you ask what we ask of soldiers when they come on the course, I think it's uh, it's due to them that they have a support mechanism and that they see that we take it seriously here uh, at the school. Uh, Every soldier that come on the course, we encourage everybody to go through a pre-course that are run by the light battalions. So having PSP uh, follow those course and give us feedback, help us make those pre-course better. Uh, they have a training package before coming to the course that we also uh, develop with them. Uh, so it's all that support and all that preparation that we're trying to make uh, better so that we can hopefully have a better success rate and have more people want to come on the course. 
so I guess we can't really talk about this without talking about PSP now since you brought it up. So what do they do? Um, for uh, everybody that is currently serving, you will know your PSP as being <laughs> yeah. um, fitness people. So the people at the gym, they'll make you program or they will run your uh, physical fitness uh, session in the morning. For the Pathfinder program, uh, they're out of Ottawa, the human performance cell. Uh, they're specialist doctors in kinesiologue, and uh, they work with the latest research in human performance to ensure that we get the best program and that we understand uh, all the metrics and the data that is applicable to the course and what we ask of Pathfinder so that we can make change to how we run the course, uh, what's asked of the people, the food that's served, uh, the rest that's given, the equipment that's used. So for us, they do a lot more than just plan our uh, morning physical session. It, it may be surprising to a lot of people in the military out there that it's actually that elaborate. But even like, like I got a chance to participate in some of the trials when they were developing some of the new uh, combat force tests and stuff like that. And you got doctors and all sorts of an analytics so for most people in the military, you know, you think PSP staff, you think of people who are in the gym, who are there to help you with your training plans and stuff like that. But there's a lot happening in the background with uh, that organization. Yeah, when I went through the course in 2017, we had a uh, weekly blood draw. We were wearing a fitness monitor on all of our uh our long march or our, our navigation and things like that to see uh, how much calories was expended, uh, what's the toll that was taken and what art rate looked like, uh, how hydrated, dehydrated you were, uh, so that they got to have really good knowledge and metrics on all the parts of the course so that we can develop our program before, uh, but also the support through the course to make sure that injuries and attrition are held to minimum for the patrol pathfinder course. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a super difficult course. What's what's the pass rate like? So historically, the attrition rate is about 60%, mainly due to failure. So people that don't grasp concept or are not able to display what is looked for to pass the assessments. Another significant part is injuries, again, yeah, uh, of course. to what comes for all that support mechanism and, and all of those. Uh, we did a lot of it scratching to try to reduce that to the maximum. I mean, it's hard, right? Because, I mean, this is common throughout military courses is it's like, listen, if you sprain your ankle or tear your muscle or break a leg, that's like weeks, if not months. Yeah. And there's no, you can't just carry on. You know? And it's a lot easier to sprain your ankle with a hundred pound on your back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The military is filled with stories of people who like broke a toe and pushed through. But when the pressure is so high and there's so much complexity and it's like having that extra pressure of an injury that may get worse and worse. Like, uh, you can't blame people for, for not being able to do it. No, and also it, there is a leadership responsibility to identify uh, people that even though they want to keep pushing on that, you know, will only be a detriment to their peers for the rest of the course and that might get more seriously injured if they try to keep on with the program and keep on with the dangerous activities like repelling and things like that. So it's also a leadership responsibility sometimes to go and see the people and say, hey, you could come back next year if you fix this, but you'll be out of the army if you like blow your knee out forever. That's the challenge with Iron Will, right? Is like if you can push through anything, even if you're the, the toughest, most baddest person, you know what they say is like, uh, what is it? Pain is just weakness leaving the body. Yeah. Sometimes pain is also an alarm signal that, That's right. that, that you need to rest and, and hopefully come back. 
So why is this capability, uh, you know, such a specialized role? I did a quick check. I think there's like a couple hundred Pathfinders. Yeah, overall, I'm number 358. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, everybody's got their number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why is this such a small capability if it's it's such a broad spectrum skill set? It's just by the nature of how hard it is to do. It's been called the artist course the Canadian Army has to offer. Um, it's a long course. The prerequisite makes it so that the, the number of people that can apply every year is fairly small. And it takes a very mentally fit and physically fit soldier with a lot of leadership abilities to be able to execute all that is asked uh, and to do that mission planning with the pilots, with the captains of ship, with uh, a broad range of enablers. So you have to be good at everything, basically. Or be very fast to learn <laughs> yeah. to learn things, yeah. So what's maybe some of the hardest parts of the course? Well, definitely for me, uh, the load. Rocksacks are always around 100 pounds, and that's when they're dry, and then you go in the water, and then you come out, and then they're 120 pounds. <laughs> and you yeah. got to carry that for... 12 hours at a time. So that physically is hard. Mentally, it's hard because the missions are complex. It involves a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, outside agencies. On the course, we go with the Coast Guard. So a lot of people that are have a different culture of how they conduct their operations. So you have to be able to talk to them even though it's your seven days in the field and you're kind of tired and it's the first time you're talking to that pilot. So you still have to make your mission happen, even though you're tired. I think anybody who's interested in the military knows that at least to a certain extent, regardless, especially in combat arms, but pretty much everybody, let's be real, there's always that mental challenge, right? Everybody goes through at least one phase in their career where they haven't slept for days and they have to make complex decisions and planning. But again, it seems like Pathfinder just pushes it to the extreme. What's some of the, I'll call them survival tips, like what are the, some of the things that you learned through that to keep a sharp mental edge when it's on day seven? I know you're talking to some Navy people and you don't really know how to talk Navy because they have their own way of doing business and you have to do this elaborate complex plan that involves like multiple organizations and everything rests on you or else the whole thing falls apart. How do you stay sharp? from that you rely on your team so everything's a teamwork you bring in the people that have the strength that you're lacking at that specific moment so you, you take on your teammates with you when you go and do your your planification so that they remember what you don't and they can uh, give you pointers for what you missed or uh, have good ideas so it's really about mission first making the mission a success and everybody has a role in that ultimately it's on everybody to succeed how does this affect your career? Like, how does being a Pathfinder affect your career path? So if you're uh, an officer and you do this early in your career, you're likely to get a chance to, to be a uh, reconnaissance platoon commander. If you're a non-commissioned member of the infantry, you're likely to be also called to the reconnaissance platoon and to be there for a longer period because it's considered an advanced course. And then after that, you can be back here at COSC, either at the cell, uh, you'll have the opportunity to uh, specialize also in parachuting. In that branch, there's also uh, a whole career path if people are interested in that, but that's how it opens door. And as far as just general career, it's just going to, you're going to be relied on a lot more by both your subordinate and your superior just because that qualification shows that you have a broader experience in planning, uh, joint operations. You have uh, 
physical endurance. So, so all of those qualities that come inherent with having the qualifications is going to be expected of you. You might find yourself with uh, more work. Like like I, <laughs> like I, like I heard that good work only brings you more work. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very true. But in theory, work that you like, right? Because you're specialized in that. At least, yeah, you know. obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. So let's wrap this podcast up in style. Uh, do you have a good Pathfinder story you want to tell people? Um, yeah, one of the good story, well, to, to reflect things that uh, are outside of the scope of normal army training. So uh, one of the mission that was assigned to do, the planning took place in a Navy frigate. And they were doing some kind of, I don't know if it was torpedo avoidance or whatever, were doing drills where they were banking the ship left and right very hard. And so it was pretty funny seeing us like all line dancing in the <laughs> yeah. in the room, trying to do like map model pointing and moving our little our little uh, pieces on a map model while everybody was getting bounced <laughs> around. Um, so that was a, it's an experience I didn't think I would have uh, being in the army. Yeah, and that's, you talk about, uh, you know, different cultures that are unexpected too, yeah, right? Because yeah. it's like, to the Navy people, that's just like, Navy you know, that's Tuesday, and you're just like, I can't, this this doesn't work for me. Yeah, it was a whole <laughs> room full of people without Navy legs. You could see <laughs> yeah. that easily. <laughs> that's good. Well, thanks for taking the time to tell us about the world of Pathfinders. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Captain Pierre-Alexandre Fool from the 3rd Battalion, Wild Majors Amélie-Germain. We're working on season four right now. If you have any ideas of things you want to hear about, don't hesitate to write us. The email address is in the show notes. I'm Captain Adam Orton for the Canadian Army Podcast. Orton out.